Good morning, church. What a blessing to be together today. Amen. What a joy. And uh, already we've witnessed some uh, some more to add to the uh, pictures, Jeremy. Some more new births this morning. Uh, what a blessing to be able to witness that and be a part of that. Uh, when Robbie was doing the communion here, uh, it reminded me of the time when Lisa had the big idea that she was going to bring Dad into the 21st century. And uh, he was having trouble with his alarm clocks because he always had the wind-up kind. And believe it or not, those are hard to find these days. And so she gave him one of the uh, Amazon boxes, you know, where Alexa tells you when to wake up. She thought this would be helpful since he was having trouble with alarm clocks. And so they showed him how to set it up. Dan put it in there. And so everything's, you know, looks like it's going to be great. Just all you got to do is tell her, set it for this time and say Alexa off. Pretty simple, right? Well, the first time dad sets the alarm, he says that Alexa asked him, where's Si? Now, I'm not sure maybe if he misheard, but that's what he says. She said, and his first thought was, how does she know that I have a brother named Si? I hadn't talked to this woman. So he's very cautious. So the next day he gets Dan to go with him and they go in and sit on down the edge of the bed to have a conversation. He's going to interrogate this woman who knows everything about the world. And so he starts asking her a series of questions. He asked her if she duck hunts, and she said, I'm not sure. And again, Dad's like, what do you mean you're not sure? You either hunt or you don't hunt. And so she gives a series of answers. He starts questioning her about the gospel. Is she saved? Does she know Jesus? What year is it in China? And so he concludes as he unplugs it, and throws it away that she's an atheist. So there you go. That's the fate of Alexa for Phil. She is beyond hope. Please pray for her. Um, so glad you're here today. Layton, would you come up? Layton's going to share uh, our, our uh, passage with us today. Layton is a senior at Delta, plays soccer and tennis, and today he's going to share with us our scripture. Oh, he likes this. He liked that, don't you? That was a good one. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Thank you, Layden. Appreciate it. About a round of applause. Thank you. So we uh, we've been talking about what what we've been calling a, a fisherman's diary, uh, the writings of Peter and also his life. Last week, we talked about him being a limited man, but he happened to be best friends with an unlimited God in flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. And that can expand your possibilities, right? It's the same for us. This man would confess that same Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And because of that, Jesus told him in Matthew 16 that I give you the keys of the kingdom of of heaven. I give it to you. And based on this confession of who I am, this will unlock that kingdom gate. And last week we imagined that. And 
the church is going to be built and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And we said the reason why was because Jesus himself said he holds the keys to death in Hades. So it's him that we look to and we trust. And so we imagine that Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, unlocked that gate with the very first gospel message that we read in Acts chapter 2. And as a result of unlocking that gate, the church of Jesus Christ, that in this moment was made up at the, of these cut-to-the-heart, soaking wet, Holy Spirit-indwelled men and women whose lives were changed. And now we look 2,000 years later, and Jeremy provided us pictures today to see again that the gospel continues to impact people's lives. We talked about that there were three conversations that Jesus had with his disciples, and specifically Peter, that I believe got him ready for the task that he had. Because today we're going to find, and we're going to imagine a little bit later, that that gate is still closed for some. And so it's going to take Peter to open it again. Now, there are three conversations. The first one was in John 21. And in that conversation, you remember it was after Jesus had been raised from the dead, and so the disciples kind of just go back to reset, and they're not exactly sure what they're supposed to be doing, and so they go back to fishing. That's what they know best. And so then Jesus shows up. He tells them about casting that net on the other side. And they realize in that moment with another miraculous haul of fish that Jesus is here. As you remember, Peter, who's willing to jump into the water, he literally jumps right into the water to get to Christ. And that conversation that they had was one of confession and restoration. And the same amount of time that Peter denied Jesus three times, he asked him three times, do you love me? And if you say yes, will you feed my sheep? At the end of that, he tells him how he's going to die. And it won't be something that's pleasant. But he's asking him in that question, in that confession, are you all in? And Peter says, yes. The other second conversation was in Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. He had all the disciples there, and he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, and you're going to make disciples, and you're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We're going to keep making those disciples. And that was to help them remember their focus. Because there are going to be some challenges to focus. The third conversation was from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And that was immediately, what are you about to do now? He was literally about to leave here. And he looked at him, he says, look, don't worry about times and dates, because that's what they worried about. Here's what you worry about. You worry about the Holy Spirit that's about to come, and you be my witnesses. And it's going to start here in Jerusalem. It's going to continue to Judea. It's going to go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And basically his question then is, are you ready to roll? Because it's about to start. And then we talked about what happened, what that looked like when the Holy Spirit showed up. There were three challenges that you see up until the point we're going to talk about in Acts 10 today. The first challenge that Peter had was that first challenge of, are you really all in? Because you get to Acts 3 and you get to Acts 4, and they begin to teach now and expand because now we're rolling. we got people together. They're meeting every day, and it's exciting. The church has begun. 
It had to be an exciting time. And so the more things are, are exciting, the more excited that Peter and John get. And so they're coming in one day it's the, at the beautiful gate, and there's a beggar there, and they heal this beggar. And he's up, and he's jumping, and he's running this by the power of Jesus, and Peter gets another crowd, so he preaches the gospel again. But now he has alerted the higher-ups. And they thought, uh-oh, I thought we stamped this out. I thought we killed Jesus. They didn't realize you can't kill Jesus. He simply started a revolution that you can't contain. So they're going to go to their playbook and they're going to try to round up Peter and John and tell them you can't do this anymore. So here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 4 verse 8. Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to count today for this act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. So now Peter is taking the opportunity of being in trouble to preach the gospel. This is what he does now. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now he's going to quote David again in Psalms. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's just going to preach the gospel again. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Drop the mic again. That's the moment, right? He's brought it. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, so these people are in disagreement. But you just can't help but marvel at these men. When they saw the courage of these men and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Where did these guys come from? And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You want to astonish people? Spend some time with Jesus. He'll do amazing things. And so that was that first challenge. Are you all in? And Peter's like, yeah, I'm all in. Whatever you do to me, later they're going to arrest him and they're going to flog him. But you know what he said? Still all in. Until he calls me home. You get to Acts 5 and Acts 6, you see more challenges. Now that second conversation is coming into play. Because it's easy to get off your focus. You know why? Because church work is messy. You know why church work is messy? Thank you, someone over here. Because sheep are messy. Our lives are messy. And it's so easy for us to get off track. And we get to worry about our comfort and what I'm getting and what I'm not getting. And I like this and I don't like that. And we get into church stuff. And we forget about our mission. Because that's what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is all about. And trust me, he's telling the apostles, it's going to get messy and you better stay focused here or you're going to run into trouble. And that's what happens in Acts 5 and Acts 6. We have a couple there who are aligned to the Holy Spirit, who are trying to cheat God. Got to deal with that. That was ugly, scary. Great fear, Acts 5.11, seized the whole church when they heard about what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. It's scary to see the evil one just right in your midst. You get over to 
Acts 5.41, and they had flogged them again. And now, you know, you get everybody scattered. But the apostles left the Sanhedrin in verse 41 rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. You can't even beat the fire out of these people and get them to listen to you. And you can't shut them up. Day after day in the temple courts, house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus the Messiah. Nothing was going to stop them because they understood their focus. You get to Acts chapter 6 and you start to see some of the early cracks in the church, which is what we're going to talk about today. You got the the widows here, and some are of Grecian descent. They're all Jews, but they came from Grecian background. Others are from Hebrew background, and there's a problem. Because the Grecian widows are noticing that they're getting picked over for the true bloods. And it created this problem. Now, again, this is church problems. I mean, we're just trying to help people. But it creates issues. And so now all of a sudden the disciples are having to deal with it. So in verse 2, they gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They weren't saying that wait on tables is not important. It's just not what we need to be doing. We need to be keeping people focused on what Jesus called us to do. So they said, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Hugely important. I got to tell you, if there were degrees in chair moving, I would be a Ph.D. Because I moved to many a chair in my day. But I realized somewhere early on that that wasn't where I needed to be focused and spending my time. Not that setting up chairs wasn't important because people got to send them so they can listen. But other people could help with that. Sometimes it's hard as leaders to let other people help. We've got to be doing everything, right? Bill Smith told me when I was very young, he said, don't worry about everything going on here. It was the hardest lesson for me to learn. Let people do what God calls them to do. And what a blessing that was to me. My job is my job, and the job of others is their job. And so we see this easily distracted church now. And now we've got this idea of favoritism that's there. And this is is going to be a crack in the foundation because God's not through yet. The church is not complete. We get to Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8, and we're reminded that this charge is for now. The church was there. It was exciting. Even with its problems, it was rolling. And then all of a sudden, the persecution takes a step up. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is preaching, and I mean he preached the best suitcase sermon ever preached, and he was ready to go because he did at the end. It was so powerful that they killed him. Now, I've had some stinker sermons before, but I'm still alive. But this was a sermon so convicting about who God is. And here is Saul, this young Pharisee, overseeing this execution. And the Bible says in Acts 8, verse 1, that a great persecution broke out against the church. And guess what happened? It scattered them to Judea and Samaria. So now it was beginning to happen. Sometimes we do our best work when we're under the most pressure. And that's exactly what happened to the early church. 
In Acts chapter 9, of course, Saul became Paul. And it was something interesting that was said. The Lord said, go, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their king and to the people of Israel. So God's lining up something here, which takes us to Acts 10, which is where I want to focus today. And I want you to imagine with me again that great door that we opened up last Sunday and allowed the church to begin. But it was just the Jewish people. And so now that gate is closed again for the Gentiles. And so imagine that Peter is getting some R&R at Simon's Airbnb, which is down in Joppa. And he's just relaxing because he's, you know, everybody needs a little sabbatical and he's just taking a little break here and he's just kind of gathering himself and spending some time in prayer. And he comes across that key that he opened up the gate. And he says, well, I don't need this anymore. We've already opened the gate. But something inside of him says, no, you better hang on to that. So he goes up on the roof to pray. And while he's praying, something amazing happens. He has a vision. Now, he doesn't know it, but in Caesarea, there's another man who's also praying. And he has a vision. His name is Cornelius. And in his vision... An angel tells him, Cornelius, I hear you, Roman centurion Gentile, and I need you to send some people to get Peter. And so while that's going on, Peter's up on this roof praying, and the Bible says he became hungry and wanted something to eat while he was on the roof. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, this happens to me all the time. The problem is I'm not waiting long enough for the vision, I guess, because I just wake up and eat. (laughs) Right? But he waits, and as he's into this trance, this giant sheet comes down out of heaven. And it's full of all these animals. And the Almighty, in a powerful voice, says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. It's pretty simple, right? There's four-footed animals in there. There's birds of the air. So I know we got some good beef, some pork, right? We got some doves, and we got some ducks, reptiles. I guess that's for the people in the Far East. Not sure about that one. But anyway, there's food there, right? And Peter looks into that sheet, and being a good Jew and obeying food laws says, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Why would I eat out of that sheet? The voice spoke to him a second time and said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. But you know what? Peter didn't eat. Thing drops down again three times. What is it with Peter and threes, right? Three times. God says, This is not unclean. I need you to do this. So the Bible says while he was contemplating the meaning of this, Cornelius's three men show up. Hey, we're here to get you. We need you to come and speak to our master. And they told him a holy angel told us to come to this house because he needs to hear what you have to say. And all of a sudden, I think the meaning is becoming clear to Peter. I'm about to go open the gate again. 
So imagine with me that he takes that key out again and ties it around his neck. He invites these men in, which is a big step for Peter because Jews and Gentiles don't associate. And he says, let's go. As he travels, he takes the key with him. And he gets to Cornelius. Now, Cornelius has gathered all of his friends, all of his relatives. Peter's taken some of the brothers with him. And so we got us a big house, church. And Peter comes in not exactly sure what to expect. And so he goes inside to this large gathering of people in 1027. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now, I've opened a lot of conversations before where I wanted to impact somebody. That's probably not a great way to open the conversation. You realize I'm breaking the law by being here. That's what he says. But. God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Well, Peter's getting it now, right? He realizes what the vision was about now. you got to put a, your prejudice and your favoritism aside. i got a job for you to do. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? I love it that he puts it back to Cornelius to say, so why am I here? Obviously, God told me to be here, but why do you want me here? And this is crucial. Because if anybody is going to submit their will to Christ, they have to know why that they need to submit. So Cornelius tells the story about what God told him. He told him about his life. Everybody has a story, by the way. I used to love when somebody would come down, they'd come into the house, and they were there to hear what Dad had to say. And Dad would say, so what's your story? Everybody's got one. And they always had one. But when your story intersects the story of Christ, that's when things begin to happen. Here's what Cornelius said. It was good of you to come. We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So I want you to imagine again those gates. Because we've got another crowd of people. We've got the believers, the Jewish believers who are there. Now we've got some Gentile people who are believers. They're there. Here's Peter again in a familiar role. And behind this setting is huge gates that are locked yet again. And Peter has the key that will open them. And they're ready to listen. And isn't that the hardest thing to know when people are ready to listen? I'll never forget when we confronted Jep when he was just a young buck. He and Zach had been living for the devil. And we knew it. But you're just, you know, you're thinking, man, we've got to have that conversation. But is he ready? And you're wondering and praying about it. And so all the brothers got together with mom and dad. And we called Jep in. And here he was coming into that moment. And you wondered, is he ready? Dad began talking to him. We began talking to him. Tears began to be shed. And Jeff looked up at us and said, what took you so long? He was ready. And we knew what to tell him. That's exactly what happens in Acts 10. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. So now he realizes, this is why I'm here. 
I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He loves all men, all women. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now the key is in. The lock is turned and the gate begins to swing open. And praise God that it did. Amen. Or we wouldn't be here. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province, the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. So he said, you know some of this stuff. You heard about it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who could hear him and were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You've heard about that. But let me tell you something you might not know. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was more than just a man doing good. He died for you. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Isn't that interesting? Why would Jesus do that? Just appear to a few. There has to be something about finding Jesus that's in the seeking and in the searching. He didn't appear. He could, Jesus could have appeared to everybody on the earth at the same time. But he didn't. Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes from those who want to hear. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the power of salvation. And now the message has been presented to these people. Who are ready to hear. While Peter was still speaking, verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. The equalizer. Are you astonished sometimes when you see people in the life they've lived? And how much denial they've been when they finally just surrender and come to Christ. You think, praise God, look at that. You see, this audience on this day wasn't just those who had come to be saved, but also those who realized that all men can be saved. And this was something new. For they heard them speaking in tongues, these languages, and praising God. Same thing that happened back at the day of Pentecost. 2.0. All of a sudden, these people who had never studied the language before are laying it out. And they're like, look at this. Incredible. Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Peter stays with them a few days. I'm sure telling them a lot more. About this new walk. And now this kingdom gate is wide open. 
and the church is complete because all men and women know that they can be saved. What an amazing moment. The baton has been passed from Peter to Paul, who will then take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And isn't it ironic that God would choose a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, to be the instrument that takes the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what he did. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so now that this kingdom gate is wide open, and all of us can look inside, here's what we see. We see Mount Zion in a heavenly Jerusalem. We see thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We see God, the judge of all men. We see the spirits of righteous people made perfect. We see Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the blood that sprinkles and cleanses all. And now we see the church of the firstborn, both Jew and Gentile, all men, all women, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That is the kingdom of heaven. And now the gates have been thrown open. And for 2,000 years, we continue to be the feet of those who bring good news. That's the power of the gospel. So you say, well, what do we take away from this, Al? Because, man, I'm glad to know that. What does that mean to me? Well, first of all, God's view of Israel is a lot bigger than our view of Israel, and we see that in this moment. He's always seen true Israel as anyone who would believe in him, even before Jesus. And then Jesus was here, and now we're 2,000 years of Jesus being in heaven mediating for us. We're all a part of this true Israel. We are believers. We also know that the old law was fulfilled in Christ and we aren't under it anymore. That means we can't cherry pick and go back and say, well, I want to keep this food law, that one. Wait a minute. Did Christ fulfill the law or did he not? We can't take a little law. We have to trust in Jesus. He fulfilled it. He died on a cross for us because we can't do it on our own. Therefore, law can't save us because of Christ. And the third thing that we take away is that every person, every person that's born on planet Earth starts out clean and pure and should be given the opportunity to be cleansed again by the blood of Jesus. Every person. Satan loves division. And he loves destruction. And if you can't see that in what's going on in our culture now and how much of a controlled division he has, then you're blind. That's what he does. But the answers aren't what a lot of people think the answer is. We know what the answer is. The answer stands beyond that gate. The great unifier of the blood of Jesus. And all people deserve that opportunity to be cleansed anew. Even purple-haired Antifa people, especially purple-haired Antifa people, or anybody else that doesn't know who Jesus is. The question is, are they ready? We don't know. But the only thing we can do is continue to put it out there. Genesis 1, 
the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our image. That's all men and all women. Peter in our text here, Paul in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, even James in his letter said, there is no favoritism in the kingdom of heaven. There are not people we leave out. Everybody deserves a chance, and it's our job to share. Peter said in part of his diary in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. And so it starts with us today. Those of you listening to this second opening of the gates of the kingdom of heaven. The same three questions that Jesus laid out for the disciples are the same questions for us. First, are you all in? Because the cost is everything for him to be Lord. Are you focused on the gospel story and who Jesus is? Is that what motivates you or is it something else? And finally, the third one, are you ready to roll? Are you ready to roll into the kingdom to then be a vessel that has the Holy Spirit that witnesses the great news of what Jesus did. Because that's what we're called to. Well, you know, I don't know. It just seems so confusing. The church and the kingdom life. It's really simple. It's submission. And the Holy Spirit comes in. And then he's ready to tell stories about the victories of Jesus. To those who are waiting to hear them. And we see it happen over and over and over again. And we've seen it this morning. But maybe you haven't done it yet. Maybe you haven't been to that point. Maybe today's the day you said, you know what? I'm glad I finally heard what Jesus did for me because I need to be in on that. I want to be all in. Great news. You can start today. All it takes is your submission of will to his. He died for you. He rose for you. He mediates for you. And he's coming back for you. That's what he said. And we submit ourselves to him and we give him everything. We start that renewal with that death, burial, and resurrection, just like we've already seen this morning. The Holy Spirit comes and says, man, have you got a story to tell? But first, things first. You have to submit yourself to him. So if you need to do that today, I want to give you that opportunity or anything else you want to share with us. Why don't you do that while we come, while we stand and while we sing?